Guys, it is absolutely brilliant to be here. I'm super excited as I was coming on the property. You know, you've got a big space, eh? But I was coming on the property and I feel I prayed upstairs with, with the, the group that prayed. I think it's a, a prophetic statement about where you're located. You know, if, uh, just my little limited knowledge of the geography. It's a prophetic statement uh, about what God wants to do uh, in bringing all people together. So I felt super excited about that. And then coming into this venue, wow. Are you excited to be in this venue? I mean, I'm excited to be in this venue, so you better be. (laughs) You know, it's so good. It's so good. And I feel that this venue is a statement of what God wants to do with you. You know, he wants to, to fill it up. I, I saw a little sp- space at the back as we pulled into the car park, uh, uh, and Gareth said, that's the stage for when we're a 1,000. Are you good on that? <laughs> so some mission work to do, some discipleship work to do. But, but I'm so excited to be with you. I, I feel God's doing wonderful things. As Gareth said, we, we had kind of mutual friends. But as we've chatted over, over yesterday, I, I feel like, man, I, I should join Gareth's church. You know, he, he's doing all the things that I'm trying to do, but just doing them better. Uh, so, um, so good. I'm, I'm going to put a timer on uh, because uh, I, I get excited and I speak for a long time. Uh, if I get too excited and, and speak too quickly, you must all go slow down. Okay, because you probably struggle to understand me. Uh, let me just pray. Father, thank you for that great time of worship. We thank you, it's your breath in our lungs that brings hope and restoration. It's your spirit that that blows life into us. And I pray, Father, as as I speak, that actually it wouldn't be so much me, but you, Holy Spirit, blowing life into these dear people, bringing hope and restoration and faith. Lord, so I pray, let your spirit come, in Jesus' name, amen. So I don't know if you, uh, I don't know if you ever, oh, my title this morning is Trio, so I did do some research before I came, so my title's Trio, uh, and, and, and we'll kind of touch a little bit on community and disciples and mission, uh, but I don't know if you, if you ever go shopping, uh, and uh, there's, there's parts in, in, in stores, they don't do it so much in, in, the, in the UK anymore, but there's, there used to be parts in stores where you could buy what are called seconds. You know, that they were, the stuff was slightly irregular, it was slightly kind of off, you know. So we buy all our crockery uh, from this shop. That, that, that the plates look like they're the, these very posh plates, these very expensive plates, but actually there's always a little something wrong with them. Uh, but no one can tell unless you look really close, you know. And, 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 and so I, I don't know if you ever do that. It, it saves you a whole stack of cash, which is a good idea if you haven't done it before. But, but, um, but I, I read a book some years ago uh, by a guy called John Ortberg, who's an American pastor, and he said uh, that we're all, we're all like that. We're all slightly irregular. You know, there's you go and buy these jeans, there's a kind of zipper that doesn't zip, there's a button that doesn't button, you know, that some of the seams are in the wrong place, you know, and, and we're all kind of slightly irregular, you know, that we're all, um, we all look a little bit, we all look normal until you get to know us, that's the title of his book, Everybody's Normal Till You Get to Know Them, and, and, and I, I kind of look normal, I guess, and, until you get to know me, but then when you get to know me, you know that actually I'm, I'm slightly irregular, you know, there's, there's, there's a little bits and pieces of my life that are slightly broken uh, and slightly flawed. Uh, and, and you don't really know that. So when you, when you see me up here, you probably think, man, he's, he's got it all together. Well, I hope you think that at the end. But, <laughs> you know, he's got it all together. Uh, but actually, 
uh, we're all slightly slightly, uh, irregular. So I just want to turn to the person next to you and say to them, say, not Howard, but say your name, I look normal until you get to know me. Say that. Say to the person next to you, I look normal until you get to know me. (laughs) Whoa, you like to talk. Great. The thing is, you all look great from afar. <laughs> you all look great from afar, but if I got to know you, I'd think, you know, there's something slightly irregular about Gareth. <laughs> you know, he's normal, but when you get to know him, he's kind of sl- flawed and broken. But the thing is, we, we've all got good at hiding that. We've all got really good at hiding that. But we're going to look at a guy who, who's, who's broken in a way that's obvious and see if we can learn some lessons about being disciples of Jesus. Okay, so we're going to read from Mark 2. I'm going to read uh, 10 verses. It should come up on the screen, or you can read it in your in your whatever Bible you use. Hopefully, I'll read it uh, so you can follow with me. So it's Mark 2, chapter 1. When Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room even outside the door. While he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They could not bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, so they dug a hole through the roof above his head. Then they lowered the man on his mat right there in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven. Some of the teachers of religious law who were sought themselves, who is, what is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking, so he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or stand up, pick up your mat, and walk? So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said to him, Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We've never seen anything like this. Father, I just pray as we look at this interaction between this paralyzed man's brokenness and your amazing goodness and grace, and his friends that carried him to you, I pray we'd learn some lessons that would shape us and transform us. But most of all, we want to happen, what happened to this paralyzed man, we want to happen to us. We want to come to you, Jesus, this morning. Amen. Amen. So the thing about a, a paralyzed man uh, is that his, his, his paralyzed, his, his disability is, is obvious for all to see. This man, it was in one sense, his life was a miracle because in Roman times, if you had a disability, that the, often the, 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 the people would, would just go and leave their, their kids. If they had a disability, they'd just go leave them out on the hills and, and just let them die. It was called they exposed them to the elements and they would just leave them. You know, if they had a disability. So this guy, in one sense, is a miracle because he's still around. I mean, what we do now, I mean, this is not just a, a sidebar. What we do now in the in the UK, and I know it's in the States, and I know it's, we, we just have them quietly aborted in hospital. You know, if there's a disability, there's an abortion. But this guy's already a miracle in that he's still there. And, but he's, his, his life is, 
is, is, is contained on this, this, you know, six foot by three foot kind of mat. And he, he, he needs people to do everything for him. He, he needs them to help him. And, it, you know, it, it would be so obvious that he needed help. You know, if there if, if no one there and he wanted to, to get a drink, he would have to drag his body in the dirt to just get a drink. You know, if he, wa- if he wanted to do anything, he would need someone to help him. And it was so obvious that this man, in, in one sense, was broken. But actually, this man represents all of us. This man represents all of us. That, that, that in one sense, we're all broken. From the very first moment, the first man and woman, Adam, whose name means uh, humanity, and Eve, who means the, the mother of all living, so that covers all of us, right? You know, that, that, that the moment they reached out uh, and took that, that fruit and rejected God, they were broken. They, 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 were, they were in the same way. The, the, instead of being in the, made in the image of God completely, the image of God was slightly twisted and broken in, in, as in humanity. And that's why, in one sense, we're all, all that way. And if you, you talk to people, whether they come to church, whether they're Christians or whether they're not, they all kind of understand that there's actually something a little bit wrong with them, something a little bit broken. I read this book by a guy called Derek Worthington. I'm sorry, I have lots of quotes. If you don't like quotes, just take the heart of them. But he said this, humanity cannot escape a particular feeling that in a sense, in some way, we're defective. It's that sense because of our brokenness, we're certain to live life alone, assured of outright rejection by those we care about. We're afraid of being alone. We're afraid of failing to find or sustain love. In the end, we're ultimately afraid of losing ourselves. And, and what happens is that, 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 that we've all got this, this kind of sense of brokenness. We've all got something wrong with us, something that sin has done. You know, the, the theologians talk about total depravity, which means it doesn't mean like every, everything's totally wrong, but it means that, that we're all spiritually paralyzed. None of you can get yourself to God without some help. None of you can lift yourself up to taste and see that God's good without God's help. You're all spiritually paralyzed and broken. And, but the thing is, you can't really see it, as I said, from, 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 up, uh, uh, from afar, but you can see it from up close. Maybe if you get to know some people, they've got a little bit of a, a whiff of arrogance about them. Maybe a, a streak of deception. Maybe they've got a cruel tongue. Maybe they've got a, a lazy, passive spirit. Maybe they've got a, a secret, destructive habit. Maybe a twisted bitterness or a cancer of unforgiveness. There's all something where sin has worked into us. I just need you to say, yes, I, I'm with you. Yeah, you get, Are you getting this right now? Yeah, okay. But, but it's interesting, you probably... You probably don't like to admit it, though, do you? We don't like to admit it. I don't. I say, like, hands up if you've got a whiff of arrogance this morning. Just put your hand up if you. No, we don't like to do that, do we? Because uh, all the way through, we've been taught to hide. 
We've been taught to hide our brokenness. And that happened right at the beginning. If you know the Adam and Eve story, the very first thing they do after they've rejected God and, 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 and the, the image of God has become twisted in them, what do they do? They go and hide. They go and hide. It said, the Lord God walked with in the cool of the garden. And then it said, but Adam and Eve hid themselves. Why do we hide ourselves? Why do we hide ourselves from God? Why do we hide ourselves from, from other people? It's because we're scared that people won't like us, that people won't love us, that people won't accept us if we, if we show that we're broken, if we show that we're sinners. People, we're worried about that. We tell people all along. That's how it is. I think there's an, can you flip the next side because I put a quote in it. Yeah, actually, it's the next bone. Okay, so this is a, a, a quote from, no, go, go back. This is a fr- quote from, from a, a novel uh, by a guy who's not a Christian. Uh, the, the, the book's called Girlfriend in a Coma, but he writes this. Nobody believes the identities we've made for ourselves. It feels like everyone in the world is fake now. As though people had true cause once, but we hide them away and replace them with something more attractive, but also more hollow. We, we don't like to say to people that I'm, I'm damaged and broken. We, we don't like to say that. We, we kind of learn to hide it. We learn to, 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 to put on a mask. We learn to put on a face. So you come to church and everyone says, hello, how are you? Because that's what you do in this country, yeah? And how do you reply? Well, actually, I'm slightly broken and damaged and I've had a bad week. No, you go, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm great. We do that, don't we? Did anyone greet you this morning and said, I'm fine? <laughs> but we don't like to do that. And you tell your kids, don't you? Don't, don't tell people. You know, the poor kid goes to school and he stands in the corner and like lonely. And you know, the very moment you say, I'm lonely, nobody's going to be your friend. Isn't that true? You say, I'm the cool kid. You know, I'm great at this. I'm great at that. Everyone wants to be a friend. So what do we do? We pretend to be the cool kid. We pretend that we're not slightly irregular. We pretend that we're not sinners, that we're not broken. Jesus doesn't like that. He says to the religious leaders who are super good at this, he says this to you, whoa, that means judgment Teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. That literally means you mask wearers. You mask wearers. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you're full of greed and self-indulgence. In the same way on the outside you appear as righteous, but on the inside you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. You read that chapter, Jesus goes at them. I mean, that's like the edited version. Jesus goes at them again and again and again and says, stop faking. Stop pretending to be religious. Stop pretending to be righteous when inside you're broken. Stop it. You know, mask-wearing hypocrisy in Christians creates a mask-wearing game. You know what I mean by mask-wearing, yeah? Say yes. And eventually, it, yes, thank you. Yes, say yes, boss. Because obviously there's nothing broken about me. <laughs> Mask-wearing game hollows out a church and destroys community. Because the reality is if you wear a mask, 
No one knows who you are, and that might feel safe, but that is not gospel community. That is not church. But this paralyzed man had something going for him that you've got going for you. He had some great friends. He had some great friends. I already feel buzzed about, the, about coming to this church. Uh, so I, I met Pearl. It said, break in, uh, Gareth said, right, break into threes and pray. So Pearl is stood with Gareth, the guest speaker, and her. She's feeling looking a little intimidated, bless her. <laughs> but as we're praying for her, I think, she's lovely. I said to her husband, I said, you're punching which means in the UK, you've punched above your weight. You've got a girl that's way out of your league. <laughs> and he said to me, like all good blokes, yes, it's true. <laughs> we, you've got great community here. There's, there's people like Pearl and every seat. There's people, great people. You, you all told me your names. I forgot them already. I'm sorry. But you've got great friends. But the thing is, if... These guys' disability, this guy's paralyzed nature should have mean he had no friends. Who wants to be friends with him? Would you like to be friends with a paralyzed guy? Okay, you're on poo duty. Do you say poo? Do you know what I mean by poo? Do you use other words, what we can't use in church? You're on poo duty. Right, okay, I'm friends with a paralyzed man. I'm on poo duty. Okay, you're taking him to get a wash. You're going to have to wash it. Would you like to, you're on washing the duty. You're on dressing duty. Some of you might have people at home that you have to care for like that. It, it, it ain't easy, right? You might do it for your family, but to do it as friends is tough, right? This guy should have had no friends. Because as I said, that you don't admit your vulnerability. You know, one of the things that uh, Gareth was telling me a story about, about a time when God spoke to him. And he came back to the church and said, I just want to tell you, uh, God has really spoke to me and I, and I want to repent. Some of the leaders around at the time, I don't know if that's you, I hope I'm not standing on toes, said, I don't think you should do that. Because it's like the leader's not supposed to say, uh, you know, I'm slightly paralyzed. I, I, I kind of need you to clean up after my mess and kind of help me when I'm broken and feed me and sort me. But you know what happens is there's, there's, there's a sense where if, if he takes off his mask and says, I, I need you, I need you, Rec Road, that helps you to do the same, doesn't it? So the person next to you and say, I need you. If it's your wife, turn the other way. <laughs> no, you can do it. So this, this man had community. There's lots of ways that you can slice community, but I want to just talk about trios because we've got the same thing in our church because one of the things I've learned is, you know, if you, get a, if you have a group, you maybe you do small groups, whatever. If you've got a small group of 10 and they say, how's your week gone? It's, it's tempting to say, it was good, eh? You know? But if you've got three, it's more like, or, you know, it's more like this guy and his mat carriers. You, you just dare go more open, eh? So he's got these men, these, these guys, this paralyzed man. They find that this paralyzed man, 
God's need becomes an opportunity for them to serve and accept him. And he discovers trusting vulnerability as they discover his weakness and that he finds dependable faithfulness. It becomes like a two-way thing. So it would be like you'd expect it to be, it's all give. This guy's broken. This guy's paralyzed. It should be all give. But what happens, I believe, is that these guys find that as they give to this guy, he's giving to them. They're learning faithfulness and they're learning dependentness and he's learning vulnerability uh, so he, they're learning about vulnerability so they can be vulnerable and he's learning about trust there's this kind of sense going on where up close in his dirt and in his mess there's real discipleship going on there's real like closeness it's not like from afar you know I can preach and go and that has some discipleship impact. But if I were to live here and to be in community with you, I'd need some friends to carry my mat. And, and I'd need to carry your mat at times. And I'd need someone close. Say yes. Having real friends isn't just a nice idea. It's critical if you want to be a follower of Jesus. We had a guy come to our church, a young guy, uh, a Greek Cypriot guy, and he, he's a great guy. I found him warm. He's around with us for three months. He said to me two weeks ago, I was really down the pan about it, really frustrated about it. He said, you know how to just want to come at the church, sit at the back, and then go home. He said, the trouble with this church, everyone wants to kind of have you around and talk about your life, and they want you to serve, they want you to be involved. I just want to sit at the back and go home. Christopher, my associate pastor, said, That's not, we're not that kind of church. You need to, there are churches where that happens, sadly, but we ain't one of them. We want to be in your life. We want to carry your mat, and we want you to carry ours. The thing is, if you're not in relationship, if you're not in community with Christians, are you a disciple? It's a trick question, but I'll ask you it anyway. Are you a disciple if you're not in relationship and community with other people? No, you're not a disciple of Jesus, but you are a disciple because you're discipled by this place, not this church, this town. Let me read a quote from a guy who lives in London, and this is what he wrote about, about, about towns and cities. Our towns and cities are formation machines. A concrete rabbi, you, you know like a rabbi is like the teacher, the one you used to follow. Uh, our towns and cities are formation machines, a concrete rabbi demanding its inhabitants become like it and adopt its lifestyle. For better, for worse, but never neutral, towns and cities rewire us from the core to see the world in a certain way and desire th certain things. You turn on your TV, it's discipling you. It's discipling you what to buy, where to go, what to think. You watch a movie, it's discipling you. It's telling you what's moral and what's not moral. You can sleep with a lot of people and, you know, and that's fine. That's what the movies are going to tell you. It's going to tell you if you've got money, you're going to be happy. That's what the movies are going to disciple you on. That's what the city's going to disciple you on. It means that if we wake up tomorrow and just live out a normal life in the city, we'll be shaped, we'll be discipled. The question is simply, into whose likeness? 
Are you apprentices of the city or apprentices of Jesus? The fact is, if you're not being discipled actively, proactively by a bunch of friends who carry your mat and you carry theirs, you're going to be discipled by the culture. There's no standing still. Just to choose whose disciples you're going to be because there is no neutral space. I tell you, the, 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 I find Christians who are disconnected from, from Christ, Christian community, their life is only going one way, away from God. But those that are embedded in community, that, that, that share their lives, that say, you know, I struggle, and that help somebody else and pray when they struggle, they're only going one way, towards Jesus. For 28 years now, I've always met with some guys, some friends who we just say, how's it going? What's happening? It's called trios. We just did it organically before it happened, but you need to have that. Let me just say this other quote. Time's already chasing. Oh, my, 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 amazingly, my timer just went off. It's obviously saying we're enjoying this and we can carry on. <laughs> so I'll just put that to one side. <laughs> this is Africa. Okay. Did you know the quote, didn't you? The English have got the watches, but the Africans have got the time. <laughs> Dietrich Bonhoeffer, German guy, said this. Sin wants to be alone with people. It takes them away from community. The more lonely people become, the more destructive the power of sin over them. The more deeply they become entangled, it, the more unholy their loneliness. Sin wants to remain unknown. It shuns the light in the darkness of what's left unsaid. Sin poisons the whole person. What he's saying there is, if, you, if you're sinning, if, you've, if you're struggling, you want to be a... You want to be alone. You know what happens is when you've, if you've messed up in your week, which might happen occasionally even to great recorders like you, if you've messed up in your week, you don't want to come, do you? You think, man, if I come, God's going to know I'm guilty. If I come, I'm going to have to say to people, you know, I'm going to have to pretend that it's fine. I, I did this sin again that's kind of beating me down and I can't break it. And, and if I come, so I'll be on my own. And what you do is you feel bad on your own. So guess what? The little sin comes along and says, you know you feel bad. Why do you do that one again? You might feel better. And for a moment you feel better and then you feel worse. Why do we buy that lie? You know, this sin's going to be really good. And then you do it. You think, I'll tell this lie to let myself look better. And then you tell it. You don't look better. But inside you feel more hollow, more fake, more rotted away. We need community. Another quote, again, a great quote from a book guy. I say it's a great quote. Maybe you should say it's a great quote. So when we read this, can you just at the end say, that's a great quote? Okay, so we'll do that. So a guy from a guy in the States wrote a book called Dangerous Calling. And this is under a chapter called The Missing Community. I have come now to understand that I need others in my life. Say yes. I know that, it's a great quote, I need to commit myself to living in intentionally intrusive. Intentionally intrusive means I decide to let people step in on my life and get really up close. 
You've got to say, I'm going to let that happen. I'm going to let people be intrusive in my life. I need in, intentionally intrusive, Christ-centered, grace-driven, redemptive community. I know now it's my role as a Jesus follower to seek this community out, to invite people to interrupt my private conversation, to say things that I wouldn't say to myself. I've realized how much I need warning, encouragement, rebuke, correction, protection, grace, and love. That's a great quote. Yeah, go. So therefore, go thou and do likewise. Paul says this about the church in, when he's writing to the church in the Thessalonians, he says this. I love this verse. Put this on a tea towel. That's what they do in England with verses. You don't know what a tea towel is, do you? A dishcloth, a washing cloth. Okay. That was supposed to be funny, but it fell bad. Okay. We cared for you because we loved you so much. We were delighted to share with you not only the gospel, but, say it, also our lives. You need intentional community. You need it. You need it. You know, if you want to be in a trio, you've got to find people to be in a trio. If you stand in the corner like the lonely pupil and say, I've got masses of emotional needs, would you, would you like to be in a trio with me? Even amazing, you know, full of grace community like that, that isn't going to work. You know, I've got a lot of issues. Would you like to come and care for my issues? You're going to struggle to be in a three there, a, a trio. But if you seek out friends and you're just friendly, that's why they have coffee at church, you know. It's not like hey, a little tactic to get you to come. It's so you can stay and talk to each other and say, hey, uh, that person might be, might be good. Let's get up at 5 o'clock on a Friday morning and let's meet. Thank you. The way you do that, I mean, there's loads I could say, but I'll be real quick. The way you could do that, you have to tell your story. You have to tell your story. The way you start off is you tell your story. You say, this is me, not the brushed up CV or resume story, but the real story. I told my daughter my real story one time she's, when she was 16 years old, and she was sad. She said, I thought you were perfect. I, I, you know, and I did well for 16 years. I convinced her. I mean, I, I don't know what she's looking at. But, you know, I told her my, my broken story. I told her my story of my drift away from God and how I was like a prodigal son, God had to come and get me back. She was sad for that. But you, you better start and say, this is really me. Tell your story. And you need time. You need time. People in the UK, they're too busy. I'm too busy for this. I'm too busy. I'm too busy. And I think, what are you doing? Somebody puts something on Facebook and immediately, like, 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 like. Everyone in my church is on Facebook, you know. So you put something on social media, everybody's, I like it, I like it, I like it. They're all doing that. But you say to them, well, why don't you spend some time in intentional community? I'm too busy. You've got to take time. Uh, John Ortberg, whose, whose book I quoted earlier, said this. We need to try and create, we try to create 21st century community in, in a 21st century timetable. It doesn't work. Maybe the biggest barrier to deep mask off connectedness is for simply most of us is the pace of our lives. And then I put here, the requirement for true intimacy is unhurried time. If you can th think you can fit deep community into the cracks of an overloaded schedule, think again. Wise people do not try microwave parenting, friendship, marriage. You, 
can't do community in a hurry. You can't listen in a hurry. You can't mourn or rejoice in a hurry. Many people lack great friends simply for the reason they've never made pursuing community a priority. You can't carry someone's mat in a hurry. And everyone has a mat. You need to take time. Okay, we need to get this down. So we got this broken friends who stand, this broken guy who stands for all of us. And he can't hide his stuff, but we all like to hide our stuff. But he's got this amazing community of friends. And they do what the best community of friends do. They bring him to Jesus. You might have friends that do all sorts of things. You know, you might want to listen to watch football games together, drink beer, bry. You might want to go, go walks on the beach. I don't know what you do. You might have loads of friends that do that, and that's okay. But what you're looking for is friends that bring you to Jesus. The strength of this paralyzed man lay in his friend's determination to bring him to Jesus. There's almost some way along that line that they said, you know what you want? You need Jesus. So what happens is Jesus is in town, and the place is, 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 is crowded. But what happens is these guys don't head off to get the front row seat. They've gone to get their friend. They say, our friend needs Jesus. He needs to come. I, I feel challenged by this thing. Have I got a, a friend that I'm friends with, a, a friend who's perhaps not a believer, who's broken, and I say, I need to come and pick you up. I mean, literally they said, we'll come and pick you up and bring you to church. That's what they did. They literally picked him up and brought him. You need someone who's going to bring you. You need a community that's going to bring you to Jesus. It's not like come to Gareth. He's got all the answers for you. Because, Amen. Yes, we want to go to Jesus. The four paralyzed men come, uh, sorry, the four men come ca carrying the paralyzed man. And they find that they come at church. And the church is packed. And they can't get in. Something's gone wrong there somewhere. Because, you know, you better be a church, and I think you are wonderfully, where anyone can come. It's not like you, you, you've got this sort of car and this sort of job, and you live in this kind of place where you can sit on the front row while Jesus is teaching. But if you're that kind of person, you're going to come and you're going to find a wall of backs. That's what they find. They've got this broken guy, and they find a wall of backs. I don't think this church is a wall of backs. When people welcome you, I didn't feel a wall of backs. I felt like, hey, come on. But when somebody comes who needs Jesus, they, they better not encounter a wall of backs. Do you understand what I mean by a wall of backs? You know, there may, not, there may be plenty of empty seats, but emotionally, there's a wall of backs. But these guys are saying, this, my friend needs Jesus so much, we're not leaving it there. We're going to press on through. We're going to press on through. We're going, to, we're, going to we're going to take him. We're going to go upstairs and we're going to dig through the roof. I love it. They go through the roof. It's like, here we are. And then suddenly, I mean, we couldn't do it here because this is seriously, serious, heavy construction. <laughs> you know, but they dig through the roof and, and think, right, we're going to get to Jesus and we're going to drop him down. I thought about this going through the roof. Let me read the passage. It says, while, God was, while he, he, Jesus, was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd. So they dug a hole through the roof above the man, above his head. They lowered the man on the mat right down in front of Jesus. Imagine how you feel. I've got a, it's not a real picture, by the way. But, you know, 
imagine, it's hard to get real pictures from that time, but imagine that you're the, the, the paralyzed man on the mat. you got four friends. You know, the guys are probably, a, you know, it might be quite heavy to hold. And, and they say, right, we're going through the roof. And he's like, whoa, this is risky. That's a vulnerable place for me to be. Imagine they're digging through the roof. They say, okay, here you go. Let's get the mat. We get it ready. It's like lowering down. Whoa, slow, slow, steady, steady, steady. Whoa, whoa. Imagine what does the guy who's been lowered down, what does he need? He needs Jesus, but he also needs to trust his friends. They're not going to go, whoops. <laughs> then he's going to really need Jesus. I thought about this, and I thought, this feels like, being really, really honest and vulnerable. It's like, you know when you tell, come to your friends and you say, let's just do something. Man, my marriage is in difficulty. Suddenly at that point, they're all holding you and you're eight foot off the ground. What if they say, well, we knew you were a useless kind of person and, you know, we knew your marriage was a mess and blah, blah, and then boom. But if they say, hey, Let's lower you gently. Let's lower you gently to Jesus. I feel that's like emotionally going through the roof. It, I, I'm nearly done here, but it's, it's like called confession. Do you know what confession is? Now, we tend to think confession is when, when you're in a Catholic church and, and, and you go into that little box. <laughs> Sorry, Pearl. Pearl used to go to Catholic church. I, I'm picking Pearl twice this morning. You go in that little box and you say, forgive me, Father, I have sinned. And then you think, I don't know, I've never been a Catholic, but I worked in Catholic school. And then you have to say, what well, a better say something. So, yeah, thoughts and bad thoughts. Okay, whatever. And then they tell you to say some things, but you never tell them the real stuff, do you? No, you don't. Because he's the, he's the church leader, and you think, I'm not telling the church leader the real stuff, otherwise I'm busted. But actually, that's so wrong, because we have to be able to have those moments where we go through the roof. These, for these paralyzed men, his friends had carried his mat long enough, a few feet off the ground, that when the stakes were sky high, literally, he was safe in their hands. He said, I'm going to let you. I'm going to tell you the truth. Who do you confess to? You should know. It shouldn't be a vague, oh, I don't know. We don't have a box in this church somewhere, so what am I going to do? You should have some friends where you say, man, you, I need to, you need to pray for me. So I'm in my group, I'm, I need to finish, but I'm in my group, and, and last week I, I, I said, oh, I, I said to my group, I'm done, I don't want to be a pastor anymore, I'm rubbish, I want to take my pension, I feel useless, you know, and, and they've got to be able to say, okay, Howard, let's just bring you to Jesus here, <laughs> it's not about your success, it's about his success and faithfulness, it's not about whether you've got a large church, it's about whether you've got a large heart, babe. you need some friends who are going to do that, you've got to be able to confess. You've got to have some friends who are going to say, do you know how I've just observed this pattern in you? Do you want those kind of friends? You need them. Let me read two, a quote about confession. And Whoa, we're still rolling actually, man. Confession. This is another quote. Confish, in confession, there takes place a breakthrough to community. The light of the gospel breaks into the darkness and the closed isolation of the heart. Sin must be brought into the light. What is unspoken is said openly and confessed. And all that is secret and hidden comes to light and we experience the cross of Jesus as our rescue and salvation. You ought to do that. What happens then? 
Jesus, the, the, the guy's down on the floor in front of Jesus, and they, and, and they, they, they he says to him, um, oh no, the people there say to him, the, the people say, you can't just say your sins are forgiven. So that's it, right? The guy comes down. Jesus says to him, your sins are forgiven. And the people listening say, only God can forgive sins. Which is easier, Jesus says to them, to say your sins are forgiven or get up and take your mat and walk. There's loads that could be said about that. But the reality is, it's true, only God can forgive sins. When your friends bring you to Jesus, it's only God's grace that can, can forgive your sins. It's only God's grace that can disciple you. Was it easy for Jesus to forgive sins? There's a clue there. Hello? Was it easy for Jesus to forgive sins? No. They cost him a lot. He could say, you're, you're healed and off you go. And you think, amazing power. But actually, to forgive sins cost Jesus so much. Look at that. Jesus does this. He was alone on the cross so we can be in community. He was naked so we don't have to do the fig leaf thing and hide his dislocated bones so that we can be healed and walk. He was marred, it says in Isaiah, beyond recognition so that we can be whole. He was rejected so we don't have to fake it and we can be loved. It cost him. It cost him for you to get up, for him to say to you this morning, your sins are forgiven. Get up and go. It cost him. It cost him. This is the best gift of, best gift of all. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, son, your sins are forgiven. He got up and took up his mat and walked out in full view of them all. They amazed everyone and praised God saying, we've never seen anything like this. If you get yourself in a discipleship community, people are going to say about you, I've never seen such transformation. What's happened to you? You're just amazing. God, God has done something. Let's finish with a quote from John Ortberg. Count on it. In community with Jesus, those who you love and those you love, most of what happened to this man will happen to you. You'll be brought to Jesus. Sin will get named and dealt with. And your life will be enlarged. And although this sounds frightening, it's the best gift of all. Why don't we stand? I don't know how you do this, Gareth. You might want to jump in, but I'm going to pray and then you can jump in. Just... Father, we know we're all broken. I know you've redefined us now. No longer see us as sinners. You see us as whole and getting walking out. But Lord, we, do, we have those moments where sinners come. We have those things where we need to confess. But Lord, I thank you you've not called us to do it alone pray that we'd seek out intentional, intrusive community that would bring us to you. And we'd learn to take time 
and go deep and honest and confess and feel your words spoken over us. Your sins are forgiven. Be whole. And once there's the application, which I'll go after do something, but the ultimate application might be here. You might come forward and we might pray for you about stuff. But the ultimate application is out there. It's about I'm going to find community of disciples that bring me to Jesus. Gareth.